بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين الحمد لله ثم الحمد لله We've reached our next dars of the tafsir of the short surahs of the Qur'an Kuz. And uh, tonight we move on to the next surah, which is Suratul Kawthar, which is Suratul Kawthar, which is uh, in fact the shortest surah in the in the Qur'an. Walhamdulillah. Uh, and it's translated as the abundance. So firstly, we have a hadith, which is narrated from Anas ibn Malik, radiallahu anhu, where he said, that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama, he took a short nap, he dozed off for a short while, and he raised his head, smiling. And the people said to him, O oh, Messenger of Allah, why, why do you smile? Yani, what's causing you to smile? And he said, a surah has been revealed to me just now. And then he recited, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, inna a'atayna kal kawthar, to the end of the surah. And when he recited the surah, he asked the Sahaba who were sitting with him, uh, Do you know what Al-Kawthar is? So here yeah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he starts off the surah by saying, Inna a'atayna kawthar Indeed, we have given you Al-Kawthar. Indeed, we have provided for you Al-Kawthar. So when this was revealed, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he now says to the Sahaba, do you know what Al-Kawthar is? And they said, Allah and the Messenger, they know best. And so the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he now goes into some details explaining to us what is Al-Kawthar. Explaining to us what is meant by Al-Kawthar. And we will see from here on end a few ahadith giving us a description of Al-Kawthar. And then we will also mention some other points on this word Al-Kawthar bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. So firstly in this hadith he said which is narrated in the Musnad of, the Sunan of Abu Dawood uh, He said it is a river which my Lord the Exalted has promised me in Jannah Has promised to grant me in Jannah It's a river So Al-Kawthar refers to the, the river which the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam will receive in Jannah There is abundance of good And upon it there is a pond which my people will approach on the day of resurrection The Hawd the Hawd, right, for Shafa'ah. The Hawd for Shafa'ah is upon this, this river. There are vessels as numerous as stars in the sky. Right? These, these descriptions will come up again. The Hadith in Muslim, so that was in Abu Dawood. A version in Sahih Muslim and the Sunan of Imam Nasai, Rahimahumullah, states, It is a river, meaning Al-Kawthar is a river, that my Lord has promised me in, in paradise. That my Lord has promised me in Jannah. So this is something specifically that will be given to whom? To the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Its vessels are more than the number of the stars. The vessels that, that people will drink from, that, 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 that will be given um, uh, for this river to be drunk from, are more than the stars in the sky. My ummah will come to me, then a man among them will be pulled away and I will say, Oh my Lord, he is one of my ummah. So people will come. The Prophet will be there. The Hawd for Shafa'a will be there. The, the lake or the pond 
upon this river and there are many vessels for which by people will drink and as the ummah is coming to the the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam there will be people who are pulled away and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam say ya allah oh my lord he is one of my ummah and how does he know he's one of his ummah we know that from other ahadith that the ummah will come or the people will come on qiyamah and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he will recognize his ummah from the parts of wudu yani the parts that they used to wash when taking wudu is going to be shining and glowing right it will be shiny and glowing so their foreheads their heads their faces sorry their faces their heads their ears their, ha- their hands their arms their feet is going to be glowing and shining extremely bright and this is how rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam will recognize his ummah he will see these people coming on and he will see them shining and glowing from these parts of wudu and he will say this is a matter of my ummah and this man will come and others will come and they will be pulled away and the prophet will recognize them and say no but he is a man from my ummah and it will then be said to him you do not know what he innovated after after you ma ahdathu ba'daka you don't know what they innovated or ma ahdatha ba'daka in this instance what he innovated after you so there are many narrations that speak about this incident that's going to happen about the people of bid'ah and innovation people who did not restrict themselves to the sunnah where they actually went beyond the sunnah and transgressed the boundaries of the sunnah and fell into matters of innovation whether it be innovation in belief in aqeedah where their belief is not from the quran and the sunnah it comes from other sources it comes from other places it comes from other uh, avenues and there are so many examples of this various sects that we have that are that the aqeedah is based upon things that are not from the quran or the sunnah or the sahaba this is innovation in aqeedah which is a major deviation may allah protect us and then we have acts of innovation where people do acts of worship which is not from the sunnah or acts of worship that is not according to the way it should be done yani the way that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam did it they do it in a different in their own way so this is very important and we spoken about this on end that two conditions for every act of worship one is ikhlas and the other is to follow the sunnah when we leave the sunnah we fall into bid'ah to innovation and what's going to happen people of innovation will be pulled away from this this kawthar they will be pulled away from this river and from that hawd that lake or the pond of shafa'ah that people will drink from people will be snatched away from this and in other narrations in bukhari rasulullah then says to these people suhqan suhqan and if go away be off you are far away from the mercy of allah you are far deprived because you have changed the religion and this is the reality of innovation and bid'ah when people fall into bid'ah they they actually changing the deen because they are no longer doing it the way the prophet sallam did it They're no longer worshiping or believing the way that the Prophet ﷺ worshipped or believed. This is changing the deen. So the Prophet will then chase them away at that moment. Wallahu musta'an. And this is one of the evidences to show that bid'ah is a major issue. It's not something minor. It's something extremely dangerous. And it's extremely severe. Subhanallah. Imam Ahmad records another hadith from Anas. That the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, دَخَلْتُ جَنَّةَ فَإِذَا أَنَا بِنَهْرٍ حَافَتَاهُ خِيَامُ اللُّؤْلُؤُ I entered paradise and I came to a river whose banks had tents made of pearls. So along this river, 
there were tents of pearls on the banks of the river. فَضَرَبْتُ بِيَدِي إِلَى مَا يَجْرِي فِيهِ الْمَاءِ So I, I put my hand into its flowing water. فَإِذَا مِسْكٌ أَذْفَرْ And I found that it was the strongest smell of musk. يعني it was a better smell than musk. A stronger smell in this sense means a better smell than musk. In other narrations it mentions أَطْيَبْ مِنْ رِيحِ مِسْك It is a, a, more, a better smell, a more pure smell. Then the smell of musk. This is the, from the water that's flowing in this river. قُلْتُ مَا هَذَا يَا جِبْرِيلُ So I said, what is this, O Jibreel? What river is this? قَالَ هَذَا الْكَوْثَرُ الَّذِي أَعْطَاكَهُ اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلَ This is Al-Kawthar. Jibreel then said to him, This is Al-Kawthar which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you. That Allah has bestowed upon you. Subhanallah. This is another narration of a hadith. Another narration says in Bukhari and Muslim, when the Prophet ﷺ was taken up to the heaven, he said, "Ataytu ala nahrin, nahrin, hafatahu qibabu lulil mujawafi." فَقُلْتُ مَا هَذَا يَجْبِرِيلُ قَالَ قَالَ هَذَا الْكَوْثَرُ رَسَمَ الْحَدِيثِ He said, "I came to a river after he was taken up into the heavens. I came to a river whose banks, or along the banks, it had domes of hollowed pearls." I said, "O oh, Jibril, what is this?" He replied, "هذا الكوثر. This is الكوثر." Um, in another hadith, the Prophet sallallahu was asked, What is Al-Kawthar? And he said, ذاك نهر أعطانيه الله يعني في الجنة He said, it is a river. What is Al-Kawthar? And he said, it is, it is that river that Allah has given me. يعني في الجنة, meaning in Jannah, أشد بياضا من اللبن. It is whiter than milk. أشد بياضا. It is whiter than the color of milk. And it is sweeter than honey. So we've already covered one incident, uh, one description, which is the besides the banks, which are, are, are has hollowed tents of pearls, and then within the water, it is it has a better fragrance than musk. It's now also whiter than milk. Can we understand what is whiter than milk? And it's sweeter than honey. This is now the taste. It's sweeter than honey. So we've seen the color, we've seen the taste, we've seen the smell. In it are birds. In this river there are tayr. The necks are like the necks of camels. The necks are like the necks, yani very long. The necks are like the necks of camels. So Umar radiallahu anhu he said indeed this is plump and luxurious then beautiful so the messenger of allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said those who consume it are more beautiful than it those who will drink the people the followers of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam those who will come and drink from it they are more blessed they are better off they are more beautiful than that which the river contains. Subhanallah. So this is the, the bounty that awaits the true believers. And may Allah make us of them. Amin ya Rabbil Alameen. Abu Bishr, he said, I said to Sa'id ibn Jubayr, indeed people are claiming that Al-Kawthar is a river in paradise. And so Sa'id replied, the river which is in paradise is part of the goodness which Allah gave him. Yani, so we've spoken about the river being Al-Kawthar. 
we've spoken about when Allah says inna a'tainaka al-kawthar indeed we have given you al-kawthar O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam we've now spoken about al-kawthar yani referring to the river okay we, we have spoken about the river being uh, al-kawthar and given some of its descriptions Sa'id ibn Jubair now tells us that the river which is in Jannah is part of the goodness which Allah gave him. Yani meaning there are many good things Allah has given him. Al-Kawthar is one of the good, one of the bounties Allah has bestowed upon him. And this makes sense. Al-Bukhari also stated that Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma said Al-Kawthar is the abundant goodness. Al-Kawthar is what? It is the abundant goodness. Remember in the beginning I said the translation of Al-Kawthar or the, the surah's name is the abundant. And we're going to get to this point now. He said, the Sahabi, he said, Al-Kawthar is what? Is the abundant goodness. Yani lots of goodness. And then, this is from Ibn Kathir. Ibn Kathir then says, this explanation includes the river and other things as well. What Ibn Abbas is saying is, and what Sa'id Ibn Jubayr is saying is, Al-Kawthar actually means something a lot more general than the river only. It's not actually restricted to the river. The river is Al-Kawthar, yes. But Kawthar has another meaning. In the Arabic language, Lughatan, linguistically or literally, the word Al-Kawthar comes from the word Kathara. Kathara, we all know what Kathir means. Kathir means lots and plenty and abundance. Kawthar, Kathara, Kathir, similar, right? Al-Kawthar comes from this word Kathara, which means abundance and al-kawthar linguistically means abundance of goodness the word in arabic what does it mean it means abundance of goodness so from this goodness is the river in paradise so now what do we understand from the word al-kawthar we understand from the word al-kawthar firstly that it is more general than the river by itself than, than the river only so when we say indeed Allah has given you Al-Kawthar and we say this refers to the river, this is correct. However, the meaning is more encompassing than that. Yani it actually means Allah has given you Al-Kawthar means Allah has given you so much of good. Allah has given you abundance of goodness. And from amongst that goodness is that river in paradise which is also called Al-Kawthar. That's what this ayah means. Wallahu a'lam. And what follows is some of the examples of the goodness that Allah has bestowed upon His Prophet. And this is mentioned by many of the Mufassirin in their books. On this ayah, like Sheikh Ibn Uthaymi, rahimahullah, like uh, Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin Shinqiti and others, rahimahullah, they bring the hadith where the Prophet said, أُعْطِيتُ خَمْسًا لَمْ يُعْطَهُنَّ أَحَدٌ قَبْلِي He said, I have been given five things. I have been given five things which were not given to anyone else before me yani five blessings have reached me allah has bestowed upon me five blessings that he did not bestow upon anybody else before me number one is nusir to be ru'bi masirata shahrin nusir to be ru'bi masirata shahrin it means i have been given support i have been given a type of victory bil ru'b with ru'b what is ru'b Ru'b is fear that is struck into the hearts of the enemy. Masirata shahrin, from the distance of one month's travel. Which means, when the enemy was one month away from the Prophet So let's say, he was in Medina and they coming from afar. 
They're traveling towards Medina or they're traveling towards a particular place where they're going to meet on the battlefield. And traveling in those days obviously took a lot of time, especially when you're moving in a big army. Because they had to carry uh, their possessions with them. They had to carry their weapons, they had to carry uh, supplies and so forth. And of course that means they couldn't just jump on a horse and ride out for days on end. Right? So they had to carry things and as an army they stop over, they sleep, they, they have to have breaks and so forth to relieve themselves. It took time to travel. From one month away, the journey which started one month away, already they would start, some fear would, would enter their hearts. Because this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestowed upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ar-ru'b is that fear that enters the heart. And it wasn't just that they feared him, they feared him from one month away. So for that entire month as they're traveling towards him, towards meeting him on the battlefield for example, that fear only increases. That fear only increases. Number two he says, وَجُعِلَتْ لِيَا الْأَرْضُ مَسْجِلًا وَطَهُورًا فَأَيُّمَا رَجُلٍ مِنْ أُمَّةِ أَدْرَكَتْهُ الصَّلَاهِ فَلْيُصَلِّ he said that the earth has been made a masjid and a means of purification for me. The earth has been made a masjid and a means of purification for me. What does this mean? Number one, it means the whole earth is a masjid. Which means anywhere we find ourselves, we are allowed to pray. And that's why the next part says, Wherever a man of my ummah is, wherever he finds himself, when the time of prayer comes, let him pray. There's no excuse. Wherever you are in this dunya, if it's time for salah, you can make salah. You don't have to be inside the masjid. If you're on the road, if you're traveling somewhere, if you're at work, if you're at campus, you're at school, and there's no musalla, there's no masjid, pray. Because the earth has been made pure. The earth has been made pure and it has been made a masjid. Yani you can make salah wherever you find yourself. There are exceptions to the rule, of course, like the, the toilets and places of najis and so forth. Places of shirk, for example, there are certain exceptions, right? And that's in its place. We have to study that in its place in the chapters of fiqh. But, generally speaking, wherever there's no prohibition, wherever there is no prohibition, it's permissible to make salah. And the place will be clean as long as you know that it's, as, as long as there is no evidence to say that it's unclean. So if you were to walk in the road, for example, and a person was to pray there, we would say that salah is valid because there's no evidence to state that there's some najis over there. Even though it's not something that, that may be the cleanest place, but there's no najis there. There's a difference between what's considered as clean and what's considered as najis. Najis is what can invalidate the salah. Right? So if you knew, for example, that a dog had come and urinated over there, and now you come and make salah there, this is different of course. Now you know you can't pray on that spot. But if there's nothing that you have no idea what was what has preceded you there, it's pure. This is what the hadith is telling us. So yes, there are certain exceptions to the rule that other hadith have taught us, where it's not permissible to be making salah, like I mentioned, the toilets and so forth. Um, but generally speaking, the rest is permissible. And that we can use this earth as a purification. Especially when there's no water, we turn to tayammum. Naam, when there's no water, what do we do? We turn to tayammum. And we make tayammum instead of wudu or even instead of a ghusl. There's no water and we, and we need to take a ghusl, we can do tayammum. If there's no water and we, and we need to take wudu, we do tayammum. So this is what this part tells us, this hadith. That, so wherever we find ourselves, there's no excuse. If there's no water, 
Bismillah, we do tayammum and we make salah. If there's no masjid, we make salah either way because the earth has been made a, a, a masjid for us. Walhamdulillah. وَأُحِلَّتْ لِيَ الْغَنَائِمِ That booty has been made halal for me, yet it was not lawful for anyone else before me. Okay, the spoils of war has been made halal, where it was not made halal for anyone else before him. وَكَانَ النَّبِيُّ, uh, وكان النبي يُبْعَثُ إِلَى قَوْمِهِ خَاصَةً وَبُعِثُ إِلَى النَّاسِ كَافَةً And the Prophets... Every other prophet, they used to be sent to his nation only. Specifically, he was sent to his people and his nation. Whilst I was sent to mankind entirely. Kafatan, all of them, in general. So they had specific nations that they were sent to, whilst the Prophet was sent in general to all of mankind. So specific to him alone. An abundance of good. Part of it is this. وَأُعْطِيتُ الشَّفَاعَةِ And I have been given the shafa'ah, the right of intercession, referring to shafa'at al-kubra, referring to the major intercession, the big intercession which will happen on the day of Qiyamah, right, which will happen on the day of Qiyamah, that hadith is in Bukhari and others. So what will happen on this day of Qiyamah, let's touch on the issue of shafa'ah, um, people will search like waves the hadith says, and they're going to go to Adam, and to Nuh, and to Ibrahim, and to Musa, and to Isa, all of whom are going to say, I am not fit for this. Because they are looking for help. They are looking for intercession. They are looking. So they come to the best of people. Adam, the father of mankind. Nuh, Ibrahim, Khalilullah, Musa, Kalimullah, Isa, Ruhullah, and so forth. And each one says, certain narration says, Nafsi, Nafsi, they worried about themselves. And other narration says, I am not fit for this. This is not this is not for me, this is not my job. Until the last of them says, Go to Muhammad. And they go to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallama and he will say, Ana laha. I am fit for this. Is, this is my job. I am fit for this. Ana laha. And then Rasulullah says, I will ask my Lord for permission, and he will give me permission. And he will inspire me with words of praise. So he will praise Allah. With which I will praise him. Words that I do not know now. Yani he will praise Allah in such a way that he has never praised Allah before. And this is only known to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala how this will happen. So I will praise him with those words of praise and I will fall down prostrate before him. He will fall down into sujood. And then Allah will say to him, Ya Muhammad, irfa' ra'sak. Oh Muhammad, raise your head. Waqul yusma' lak. And speak and intercession will be granted to you. Wasal tu'ta. Ask and you will be given. Intercede and your intercession will be accepted. And he will say, I will say, Oh my Lord, my Ummah, my Ummah, Ummati, Ummati. And he will say, Go and bring forth everyone in whose heart is a faith, there is faith, the weight of a barley grain. So I will go and I will do that. And then I will come back and praise him with those words of praise. And I will fall down into sujood once again. And Allah will say to him, Ya Muhammad, irfa' ra'asak. Oh Muhammad, rest, lift up your head. وَقُلْ يُسْمَعْ لَكْ Speak and intercession will be granted to you. وَسَلْ تُعْطَى Ask and you will be given. وَشْفَعْ تُشَفَّعْ Seek intercession and it will be accepted from you. And I will say, Oh my Lord, my Ummah, my Ummah. Ummati, Ummati. And Allah will say, Go and bring forth everyone in whose heart there is faith the weight of a small ant or a mustard seed. So I will go and do that. He will take them out of the fire. These people are going to Jahannam. And he will take them out of the fire. This is because of his shafa'ah. Because he asked Allah for this. Allah intercedes. 
accept his shafa'ah and they are then saved from Jahannam. Then I will come back and I will praise him. And with those words of praise once again, I will fall down into sujood. And Allah will say, Ya Muhammad, irfa' ra'asak, wa qul yusma' lak, wa sal tu'ta, wa shfa' tushafa'. And I will say, Ummati, Ummati, Ya Rabbi, Ummati, Ummati. He will say, Go and bring forth from the fire everyone in whose heart there is faith, the weight of the lightest, lightest grain of mustard seed. So I will go and I will bring them forth. This is on the third time. The hadith is, carries on and carries on towards the end. It says, Then I will come back a fourth time and I will praise him with those words of praise and I will fall down prostrate before him. He will say, Ya Muhammad, irfa' ra'asak, lift up your head. وَقُلْ يُسْمَعْ لَكْ Speak and your intercession will be granted to you. وَسَلْ تُعْطَهْ Ask and you will be given. وَشْفَعْ تُشَفَّعْ Intercede and your intercession will be accepted. I will say, Ya Rabbi, give permission to bring forth all those who said, La ilaha illallah. And Allah will then say, By my might, by my majesty, by my supremacy and my greatness, I will most certainly bring forth from it those who said la ilaha illallah and this will be given to rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam that hadith in sahih bukhari so that's one of the of the five that we mentioned we've touched on all five alhamdulillah um that's just from that hadith he was given these five things that were specifically given to him alone another form of abundance is the maqam al-mahmud that he is given. So your Lord may raise you to a station of praise. The station of praise. Maqam al-Mahmud. Ibn Jarir al-Tabari rahimahullah he said, most of the Mufassirin said, this is the position to which Muhammad will be raised on the day of Qiyamah. He will be given the station. And he will. this will be for him to intercede for the people so that their Lord will relieve them of some of the hardships that they are facing on that day. So he will be given the station on that day. Everybody will be looking up to him on that day. This is the praise station. There is nothing like the station at all. Ibn Abbas said the position of praise and honor is the position of intercession. That is the Maqam al-Mahmud. It refers to the position of intercession. Others uh, stated the same thing. Qatada rahimahullah said he is the first one for whom the earth will be opened on the day of resurrection and he will be the first one to intercede. So the scholars considered this the position of praise and, and glory. Maqam al-Mahmud. He will be given the station. We, be, we know this. And this is one of the abundance that he will receive. Before we move on, I would like to mention some that uh, Muhammad al-Amin al mentioned of what Rasulullah was given. And he mentions, for example, Allah says in the Quran, وَلَقَدْ آتَيْنَاكَ سَبَعَ مِنَ الْمَثَانِ وَالْقُرْآنَ الْعَظِيمِ In Surah Hijr, verse number 87, Allah says, Indeed, we have given you, O Muhammad, the seven after-recited verses, Surah Fatiha, وَالْقُرْآنَ الْعَظِيمِ And the glorious Quran. This, is this not a bounty from Allah? Is this not abundance of good? Most definitely it is. Surah Al-Duha, let's go to Surah Al-Duha where we did the tafsir of. Where Allah says, وَلَسَوْفَ يُعْطِيكَ رَبُّكَ فَتَرْضَى And your Lord will give you, He will give you that which will cause you to be happy and pleased. We, we did tasir of these ayat, we alhamdulillah. Right? The next surah, surah sharh, أَلَمْ نَشْرَحَكَ صَدْرَكَ Allah speaks about the blessing, how He blessed His Prophet. He gave him abundance of goodness by opening his heart, expanding his heart. We explain those ayat. And, وَوَضَعْنَا كَوِزْرَكَ Allah lifted that burden from him. Those sins, those 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 errors, those we, we explain those things. وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ ذِكْرَكَ Allah raised his reputation, his repute, his name, his status. وَالْيُسْرِ بَعْدَ الْعُسْرِ 
Allah gave him ease after hardship. Indeed, with hardship comes ease, and with the same hardship comes more ease. We explain these ayat, alhamdulillah. This is all examples of how Allah gave the Prophet. After this comes Surah Tutin. And this city is a safe city, a city of safety and security. What city is this Makkah, the city of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, given to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Also, he gave the mu'mineen, the followers of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, those who do righteous deeds, those who have iman, a reward that is limitless, it has no end, right? It, it's, it, it, it does not cut off. A reward that's not cut off. The surah after that, surah Iqra, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed him with the Quran. The wahi that he received. And he gave him knowledge that he did not know of. Allam al-insan ma'lam ya'lam. He taught insan that which he did not know. He taught the Prophet that which he did not know. After that comes surah Al-Qadr. Allah gave him layla, a night that's better than 1,000 months. After that comes surah Al-Bayyinah. Where Allah mentioned that his ummah is the best of people. Khayrul bariyah. The best of people is who? Those who have iman and those who do righteous deeds. Ulaikahum khayrul bariyah. They are the best of creation. And Allah blessed him with his pleasure. That he's pleased with him and they are pleased with him. Is this not a bounty from Allah upon the Prophet and his ummah? After this comes Zalzala. Suratu Ida Zulzila. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions at the end of the surah how he preserves the deeds of the Prophet and his followers. That their deeds are not lost. Even it's the weight of a mithqala dharra, of goodness. Whoever does the, the weight of a small ant's goodness, uh, the weight of a small ant of goodness, he will see it. Khayra yarahu. He will see it's preserved. The deeds are preserved. In surah Adiyat, in surah Adiyat, Allah mentions about he swears by those steeds of war that are out of the Fisabilillah and how he will assist him over the enemies and the jihad and so forth. In Surah Takathur, Al-Hakmu Takathur, Allah mentions about his tarbiyah upon them and how they should be thankful for his tarbiyah and how he will increase them of his virtue. In Surah Asr, Asr Allah mentions that the best of Ummah is the that this ummah that Allah has sent, the best ummah to come to mankind is this ummah, those who believe in Allah, those who do righteous deeds, those who call others to the haqq, and they call others to sabr. We've spoken about this ayat, alhamdulillah, Surah Quraysh, how Allah blessed His people, the people of Makkah, the Quraysh. And He, he protected them from Abraha and so forth. Surah Fi, likewise. In Surah, before this one, Ma'un, Surah Ma'un, how, uh, for example, the Munafiqeen refused to give the smallest amount of, of, of kindness, yet, yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him the best of goodness, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him the best of goodness, and so forth, there's many other examples that Sheikh mentions, right, of how he was an orphan, and how he was given, and so forth, these are other examples that Sheikh mentions, alhamdulillah, I think that's enough for us to mention, there are, I'm sure much more even than the Sheikh mentioned that we can mention of how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the Prophet so much goodness. Al-Kawthar, abundance of good, abundance of good. Subhanallah. So we move on to the next ayah. فَصَلِّ لِرَبِّكَ وَانْحَرْ 
Allah then says, so pray and sacrifice to your Lord alone. So pray and sacrifice to your Lord alone. Ibn Kathir, he explains and he says, just as we have given you the abundant goodness in this life and the year after, and from that is the river which we spoke about, then make your obligatory and optional prayers and your sacrifices of your animals solely and sincerely for your Lord. As we've blessed you with all of this goodness, what does Allah want in return? Allah wants us to be grateful. Allah wants us to show gratitude. And that comes through our ibadat. That comes through our obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So turn to Him in your prayer. Number one, in your salah. And the other word salah includes your fard and your nawafil. Your the fard and the sunnah. Optional voluntary prayers. Turn to Allah alone in your salah. Worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One har and sacrifice. Sacrifice to your Lord alone. Naam. Sacrifice to your Lord alone. This is out of gratitude. After Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you abundance of goodness. And of course these ayat apply to us as well. He's given us all of this goodness or a lot of this goodness as well. So we too should show our gratitude by worshipping Allah alone. Salah and sacrifice and every other act of worship. Yeah, Ibn Kathir is on and he says, Worship him alone and do not associate any partner with him. This is the why Allah sent the messengers. This is the what our deen is all about. La ilaha illallah. We worship him alone and we do not associate any partners with him. And sacrifice pronouncing his name alone. We don't sacrifice except in the name of Allah. Bismillah. Allahu Akbar. That's the only name that we take when we sacrifice. Without ascribing any part of him. This is similar to as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-An'am. Qul inna salati wa nusuki. And say indeed my salah and my sacrifices. The two things are mentioned in this ayah as well. Fasalli li rabbika wanhar. In this ayah Allah says inna salati wa nusuki. Say indeed my salah and my sacrifice. My living and my death. My living and my dying. Lillahi rabbil alameen. Wa mahiyah wa mati. Lillahi rabbil alameen. It is for Allah, the Lord of all that exists. It's all for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. La sharika la. He has no partner. And of this I have been commanded. المسلمين, and I am the first of the Muslimin. And I am the first of the Muslimin. This is of course a similar ayah. And this is the opposite of the Mushrikeen. This is the opposite way of the Mushrikeen. Those who would make worship other than Allah. Yani prostrate to other than Allah, sacrificing in other than His name, taking, you know, sacrificing in, in, in the name of various false gods. This is the opposite. A mu'min, a muwahid, this is in the name of Allah alone. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَأْكُلُوا مِمَّا لَمْ يُذْكَرِ اسْمُ اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَإِنَّهُ لَفِسْقُ And do not eat from what Allah's name has not been mentioned or pronounced over. Indeed, that is fisq. Any food that has been slaughtered in other than the name of Allah, and the name of Allah has not been taken over it, is haram to eat. La fisq, it's, it's fisq, it's sinful. It's become something that's, that's mayta, it's like dead, and it's not permissible to be eaten. Wallahu a'lam. Ibn Uthaymin, rahimahullah, he said, touching on the issue of slaughtering specifically, he said, sacrifice or slaughter means killing by shedding the blood in a specific manner, which is done in several ways. Right? As we know in a sacrifice, we take a sharp blade and we cut the animal's neck and so forth and we let the blood drain. However, it's done in several ways the Sheikh mentions. And this is important for us to understand. He says number one is that which is done as an act of worship. Where we sacrifice something as an act of worship with the intention of venerating 
the one for whom the sacrifice is done and humbling oneself before him and drawing closer to him. We are trying to venerate the one whom we are sacrificing for. We are getting closer to him and we are humbling ourselves in front of him. Because this is worship. That's what worship is all about. Humbling yourself in front of your, your, the one that you are worshiping. You are venerating him, glorifying him and humbling yourself and also seeking to, to draw closeness to him. That's worship. This type of sacrifice may only be done for Allah alone in the prescribed manner. Doing this for anyone else is what we call major shirk. Shirk, akbar. Major shirk, we take the person out the fold of Islam. Anything that is slaughtered for, for other than Allah, is a person is taken out the fold of Islam. Wallahu musta'an. And this is actually something very common. We may think that this doesn't happen. Who sacrifices for other than Allah? I think the ordinary Muslim may be saved from this. The, the, the layman, in layman terms, he may be saved from this, bi'idhnillah. But you find in certain sects, again, certain groups, certain people with some strange beliefs, with some odd beliefs, this is something that is well known and rampant amongst them. Um, and also amongst those people who are busy with shayateen, who are doing the work of the shayateen, of the devils, like the magicians, like people who are working with jinns, so-called ruqya workers, ruqat, people, raqis that are working with jinn. Um, and various people, fortune tellers, for example, that are doing the work of shaitan in reality. Many a times they are guilty of the sin. Because for them to get access to the jinn, for them to have another jinn work for them and help them and assist them in finding things out, information, in um, getting information of the future, for example, or even the past. They can tell you things that happened in your past. All things that is going to happen in the future. Because the jinn over here, the mustarap al-sam'a, the eavesdropping jinn. Um, they can tell you things that may be lost. A person may be lost, they can find them. Or find things that have been stolen or lost. They can trace it, find it. Because they're working with jinns. But the jinn doesn't just work for them. They have to do things for the jinn. So you find some of the magicians, for example. Um, they can walk over water. They can fly. They can set themselves alight, they can do strange things. But these people are working with jinns, these people are working with sihr, these people are doing the work of the shaitan. Many a times what's required is, if not all of the time, is that they have to worship the shaitan. The shaitan wants to be worshipped. The shaitan wants to feel the power, the, the, the status. He wants to feel, you know, he's taking the place of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the devil, this is his job. To turn us away from Allah tawheed and into shirk. And of these ways of, of venerating the devil is that he wants us to sacrifice in his name and not in the name of Allah. And this is very common. Very common. And we've, we know people who have done this. We know people that have fallen into these traps. We know, we've seen people that are, are doing these things in our communities. In our communities. Not far away. In our communities. Um, one brother mentioned that he was his mother was ill. He went to the one masjid. And he spoke to the imam of the masjid. He said, look, can you make dua? What do I do? My mothers are getting better. And the imam said, take uh, so much black chickens. Can't remember the exact number. Three or four black chickens. Go to the ocean. Sacrifice them and throw them in the ocean. Then come back and go. When he came back, he said, I did this. Then you had to go and go to a certain grave site and make dua to the person in the grave and ask the person in the grave for shifa, for his mother. When this happened, he said, no. 
I don't make dua to other than Allah. But he didn't realize that he sacrificed to other than Allah. May Allah forgive him for his lack of knowledge. So he knew dua to other than Allah is shirk. But he didn't know that what he was doing with the chickens, for example. I know of a person who was, uh, was unable to get accepted into a particular university. So he contacted his sheikh his, of his tariqah, Sufi orders. And his sheikh instructed him to do certain things. Of what he was supposed to do was is he sacrificed some chickens and some animal. And the blood was then smeared on this university's fence and gates and so forth. And this was a sacrifice that was done. A veneration for whomsoever they were working with. It's difficult to tell whether these people are working with, with the devil and with dark forces and so forth. And not long after this, the brother was accepted into this university. After being rejected for a few years. And many stories like this have reached us. Many stories like this we know of people telling us personally what they were told to do. Magicians that were being caught by authorities in Muslim lands. What are they caught with animals that they are about to slaughter for the jinn, for the shaitan, to venerate the shaitan. So this is, uh, may seem something that's unheard of, that's rare, that it's happening in our communities and all over the world. Because the shaitan is around and he has not left and he is misguiding and leading people into these practices. The point is, as a mu'min, when we sacrifice as an act of ibadah, we do it to get close to Allah. For the sake of Allah. Out of humbleness to Allah. Out of gratitude to Allah. And venerating Allah not for anything else. As an act of worship. In fact, in this lengthy hadith, I'll just mention the main part. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, لَعَنَ اللَّهُ مَنْ ذَبَحَ لِغَيْرِ اللَّهِ Whomsoever sacrifices for other than Allah, Allah's curse is upon him. Allah cursed him who sacrificed for anyone besides Allah. And he cursed him who accommodates an innovator. And Allah cursed him who cursed his parents. And Allah cursed him who changed the boundary lines of the land possessed by him. Yani he, stole, he stole land and so forth. Tayyip. Second, so that's number one. The issue of venerating the person that you are slaughtering for, seeking closeness and humbling unto him, that is for Allah alone. Then we get slaughtering or sacrificing an animal which is done to honor a guest or for a wedding feast and the like and this is something which is enjoined and which is permissible uh, it could even be obligatory uh, obligatory as the sheikh says because the prophet said whoever believes in allah in the last day let him honor his guest and he said to abdurrahman ibn awf give a wedding feast even if even if it is with the, with only one sheep have a walima even if it is with only one sheep okay so meaning that if you have a guest and and again maybe in our culture this is very different we don't exactly have cattle uh, just walking around and we can just take and slaughter for the guest and so forth right but back then this is this is what used to happen think of the story of ibrahim السلام, Khalilullah, where the angels came to his home and he quickly had an animal slaughtered for them right and they when they refused to eat and he, this is when he started to fear and then they said to him don't fear we are the we have been sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bring you glad tidings of a son. And we are going to the people of Lut and so forth. Tayyib. Um, so, in this is what the Sheikh means. That if, the, if you need to, uh, you know, slaughter for the people, this is permissible. But this is not being done. What's the difference between this and the first one? Firstly, this is still done in the name of Allah. When you slaughter, you still take the name of Allah. Secondly, the reason for slaughtering is to feed your guest. Is to feed your guest. To honor your guest. But this honoring the guest is very different to venerating, you know, 
uh, either Allah or some other false god. You are not venerating this person. You are not humbling yourself to this person and, uh, and trying to draw closeness to this person like you are with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when we store it. It's a very big difference. So this is done honoring the guest just like we feed the guest any other thing. This is honoring the guest. So this is very different to slaughtering for other than Allah. Seeking to, to draw close from the, to the jinn or shaitan. Or that this jinn will now help me. Because of this he's going to assist me. And give me certain information that I can use. Or you know and so forth. This is completely different. This is permissible. And it could be obligatory as the sheikh says. Depending on the situation. Wallahu a'lam. Thirdly the sheikh mentions that which is done to provide food. Or to sell the meat and so on. And this is obviously something which is permissible. Walhamdulillah. Tayyib let's move on. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he then says in the final verse of the surah, إِنَّ شَانِئَكَ هُوَ الْأَبْتَرِ إِنَّ شَانِئَكَ هُوَ الْأَبْتَرِ Only the one who hates you is truly cut off from any goodness. The word abatar means something that's cut off. It's cut off. Cut off from goodness. Or cut off in, 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 in various ways. Okay? So Allah tells us, it's the one who hates you, O Muhammad, he is the one who's truly cut off. Your enemy is the one that's actually cut off. It's not you that's cut off. It's your enemies. It's the ones who hate you. They are the ones who are cut off. Ibn Kathir explains this ayah and he says, Indeed, the one who hates you, O Muhammad, and he hates what you have come with, of guidance, truth, clear proof and manifest light, he is the most cut off. The meanest, the lowliest person who will not be remembered. Ya Salam. The person who is cut off يعني, is a person, for example, who has no lineage. He has no sons, he has no children, especially referring to sons. So there's nobody to carry on his legacy. There's nobody to carry on his name. He's got no sons. So once he dies, his legacy has come to an end. His name has come to an end. This is how people understand this word abtar. So the enemies of the Prophet this is what they used to tell him. You are abtar. This is how they try to insult him and belittle him and mock him. They say to him, you are Abtar because his sons had passed away. His sons, Al-Qasim, Ibrahim and Abdullah all passed away. Subhanallah. So this is what they used against him and they said, you are Abtar. You cut off. Your lineage is cut off. Your progeny is cut off. But Ibn Kathir says, it's the one, Allah says, it's the, those who hate you, they are the ones who are cut off. In various ways. Firstly, from all goodness. And here Ibn Kathir says, يعني, the one who hates you and hates what you have come with of the truth, of the sharia, of the haq, of nur from Allah, he is the most cut off. He is the lowliest of people and he will not be remembered. He will not be remembered. And if he is remembered, he is only remembered for his evil and not for goodness. And we will mention some of these men who are remembered but they are only remembered for evil and for, and for bad. And people are making dua against them on a daily basis. We read their names in the books of Sirah, the books of Hadith, and what do we say? La'anahullah. Abu Jahal, may Allah curse him. Abu Lahab, may Allah curse him. Al-Wail, Al-Asr bin Wail, may Allah curse him. Al-Nadr bin Harith, Al-Wali bin Mughira, and so forth. May Allah curse them. Because they were the enemies of the Prophet And they used to accuse him, and they used to attack him like this. So what are they remembered for? Not for their goodness. They are only remembered for their evil. And people are making dua against him on a daily basis. Wallahu musta'an. Ibn Abbas, Mujahid and others, Qatar and others, 
they said that this ayah was revealed about Al-As ibn Wa'il. Al-As ibn Wa'il. And they said whenever the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would be mentioned in his presence, he would say, leave him. For indeed he is a man who is cut off, having no descendants. He is a man who is cut off, and he has no descendants. So when he dies, he will not be remembered. When he dies, he's done. Right? Nastarih. We can then relax. So leave him, don't worry about him. As soon as he dies, he's done, because he's got no sons. He's abtar. He's abtar. So as soon as, just wait for him to die. As soon as he dies, we can then relax. So don't worry about him. This is what Al-As ibn Wa'il used to say. And this is why, Afwan, many scholars said that this ayah was revealed for him. That he, this enemy of yours, he is abtar. Not you, O Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Tayyip. Um, Shamir ibn Atiyah said, the surah was revealed concerning Uqba ibn Abi Mu'ayt, another enemy of the Prophet Ibn Abbas and Ikrimah both said, this surah was revealed about Ka'b ibn al-Ashraf and a group of the disbelievers of the Quraysh. Difference of opinion about who exactly it was revealed regarding. Al-Bazzar narrated that Ibn Abbas, again the great Sahabi said, Ka'b ibn al-Ashraf came to Mecca and the Quraysh said to him, you are, a, you are the leader of, of the people. What do you think about this worthless man who is cut off from his people? He claims that he is better than us. Well, we are the people of, 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 of the place of pilgrimage. We are the people of Mecca. We are the people of the Kaaba. The people in the charge of the Kaaba, the custodians of the Kaaba, we are, this is us. And the people who supply water, the people of Siqaya, they used to give water to the pilgrims when they came. And this man said, Kaab. He then replied and said to the people, you are all better than him. You are all better than him. Yani don't worry about him, what he claims of, of who he is, that he's a prophet and so forth. You are better than him, don't worry. This is what Kaab had to say. And then Allah revealed, Inna shani'aka huwa al-abtar. It's only your, those who hate you that are truly cut off from all goodness. It has also been reported that Ata said, this surah was revealed about Abu Lahab. Abu Lahab, the uncle of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, one of his main enemies. When a son of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam died, Abu Lahab went to the mushrikeen and said, Muhammad has been cut off tonight. Look how they took the opportunity in the, 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 the saddest moments in the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. A fellow human being would at least feel, you know what, the man's son passed away. Subhanallah. He's, your nephew's son passes away. And what did he do? He went to the people and said, Muhammad has been cut off tonight. He's abtar tonight because his sons have died. So Allah revealed the ayah, Inna shani aka huwa al-abtar. Only the one who hates you is truly cut off from all goodness. They are the one who are cut off, it's not you. Tayyib. Um, so we see a different of opi- difference of opinion about, uh, regarding exactly who it may be. It could be referring to all of them because many of them would have said these things. It's not to say that only one of them might have said it. But possibly, they all used to say this to each other. And say this to others, ah, he's abtar. Because they used to try to use anything against him. The reality is, many of the things that they try to use against him, he could refute those things and Allah would at times reveal things to defend him. So they tried various things. And this we discuss in our Sira lessons, alhamdulillah, the various tactics that they used. The Quraysh actually used tactics to try and, you know, overcome the Prophet to try and belittle this deen and so forth, but they, 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 they were never ever successful. As Suddi said, when the male sons of a man died, the people used to say he has been cut off. So this is what Abtar means. When a person's male sons die, 
as we explained, no progeny, no nobody to carry on his legacy or his name. This is what Abdar means. All of his sons have passed away. So when the sons of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam died, they said Muhammad has been cut off. Muhammad is now Abdar. And then Allah revealed, Inna shani'aka huwa al-Abdar. It's not Muhammad that is cut off. It is those who hate him, they are truly the ones who are, who are cut off. Ibn Kathir then said, So they thought in their ignorance, that if his sons died, his remembrance would be cut off. Hasha wa kalla. He said, No, 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 by Allah. Hasha wa kalla. No ways. To the contrary, Allah preserved his remembrance for all the world to see. And he obligated all the servants to follow his law. Every single person has heard about the Prophet And every righteous person knows and, and, and prays for him. And remembers him and his life. And we discuss his life and his sunnah. And we are all obligated to follow his sunnah. And this will continue for all of time. Until the day of gathering and the coming of the year after. May the blessings of Allah and his peace be upon him forever. Until the day of assembling. This is what Ibn Kathir said at the end of the tafsir of the surah. So refuting the, the futile claims. That he's cut off. How can he be cut off? Look at his legacy. Look at his legacy. 1400 odd years later. It's still going strong. The sunnah is still alive. Walhamdulillah. The followers of the sunnah are still strong. They are still calling to the sunnah. They are still following the sunnah. And so forth. And this will stay up until the end of time. Because the hadith tells us. لا تزال طائفة من أمتي ظاهرين على الحق لا يضره من خذلهم حتى يأتي وعد الله. He said in the hadith that a a part of one group, one group of my ummah will remain openly proclaiming upon the truth. Openly they will be ظاهرين على الحق, open and apparent, and proclaiming the truth, and nothing will harm them. لا يضره من خذلهم no person who tries to harm them or betray them will actually harm them until the hour is established. Until the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes. Um, so before we end off, we look at how Allah actually humiliated some of his enemies. And we just look at one example of Al-As ibn Wa'il. Al-As ibn Wa'il. One of the main enemies of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. From the heads of the Quraysh. Al-As ibn Wa'il was the one we narrated from Ibn Abbas and Mujahid and Qatada who said, he used to say that, don't worry about Muhammad. People mention him and say, ah, but Muhammad is this and he's still continuing with his da'wah and he's not stopping and he's still speaking about our gods and he's this and he's that. Al-As would say, don't worry about him. For he is Abtar. His sons have died. And it said that after the son Abdullah died, after the Prophet wasallam, son Abdullah died, he said these things. That the Prophet is now Abdar. He has no, no sons. So when he dies, we will then be relieved of him. And that, that will be the end of him because he's not got nobody to carry on his legacy. He's got nobody to carry on his remembrance. And this is what Al-Aws ibn Wa'il said. What happened to Al-Aws ibn Wa'il? Al-Aws ibn Wa'il was in debt. And Al-Aws ibn Wa'il would say to the person that he owed money to, I will be bestowed lots of sons and lots of wealth. So I'm not going to give you your money unless you make you, you, you disbelieve in Muhammad. The man said, I will not disbelieve in Muhammad. I believe this was Khabbab ibn al-Arat radiallahu anhu. 
and Al-As bin Wa'id said, if that's the case, my sons will pay it off. And my legacy and so forth, I'm going to have this big legacy. And what happens is, Al-As bin Wa'id one day is on a journey to Ta'if, and he's on a donkey, and all the people that he's traveling with have left him behind. He was 85 years old. And what happens is the donkey eventually throws him off. And he lands in some thorns, which injures his leg. His leg swells up and he dies. On the road somewhere. And he dies like this. Al-Aus bin Wa'il. What also happens to Al-Aus bin Wa'il is he has two sons. Amr and Hisham. Hisham ibn Al-Aus. And Amr ibn Al-Aus. Hisham made Hidra, he eventually becomes Muslim. He makes Hijrah to Medina and later he's died as a martyr in the Battle of Yadmuk. As for Amr, Amr becomes one of the leaders of the Muslim armies. He becomes a leader of the armies. Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, when he's the Khalifa, the Prophet would put him in charge of, 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 of armies. Abu Bakr put him in charge of the army to Syria. He eventually conquers most of Palestine. And later on he becomes a governor of, of Egypt. Becomes a governor of Egypt for many years until he dies. And this is some of the few things. He achieved many other things. Amr ibn al-As narrates many hadith. And then he had a son, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As. Abdullah, the son of Amr, the son of As, the son of Wa'il. Abdullah ibn Amr is a young Sahabi, Bosa Sahabi, who of course accepted Islam, some say before his father. And he documents hadith. Abu Hurairah who narrated the most hadith said Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As was more knowledgeable in, in, in hadith than me. More knowledgeable in hadith than myself. And he wrote a book. It's said to be one of the first, if not the first compilation of hadith. As-Sahifa As-Sadiqa. The truthful uh, scripture that he compiled. It contained about 1,000 hadith. And this was eventually incorporated into the Musnad of Imam Ahmad. The Musnad which is a huge compilation of 30,000 ahadith of Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal. He, com- he included the, the, sahiha, the Sahifa of who? Abdullah ibn Amr ibn Asa Sahabi. Who is his father? Amr. Who was there for his father? Al-As ibn Wa'il. What does this tell us? That Al-As ibn Wa'il, who said that the Prophet is Abtar, he died Abtar, and he had no legacy, and nobody to continue his name. Because even though they carried his name, they were followers of who? They were fighters for who? They followed the legacy and upheld the name and the legacy of who? Of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. They were sahaba, fighters that fought physically, compilers of hadith. That established this legacy of the Sunnah through Abdullah ibn Amr and through Amr ibn As and so forth. So who was Dili Abtar? Al-As ibn Wa'il. As much as he thought I will have sons and I will have wealth and I will have this and Rasulullah will be cut off and he used. He was. This Allah Allah turned the tables on him. Allah turned the tables on them. And their legacy today is what? Nothing but evil. Nothing. No khair in it. In fact the hadith says. That when he died, he left a wasiyah, a will. That 100,000 slaves must be freed on his behalf. 
So Hisham goes and he frees one fifty thousand. And then Amr comes and he says, "What's the point?" And he goes to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and he says, "Ya Rasulullah, Hisham has already done the fifty. Should I do another fifty? That's that's now supposed to be obligated." And the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam basically says, "Had he been a Muslim, and you freed slaves on his behalf, or you did sadaqah on his behalf, or hajj on his behalf, balaghu dalik, that would have reached him." Had he been a Muslim, but it, he's not a Muslim, so it's not going to reach him. So there's no point sacrificing for him because it's not going, it's not going to benefit him. There's no benefit for him. He's a kafir. He's going to Jahannam forever and ever. Wallahu musta'an. An enemy of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Inna shani al-abtar. It is your enemies. It's those who hate you that are truly cut off. And this is the clearest example when it comes to who Al-As ibn Wa'il. His own sons and grandsons became followers of Rasulullah, people who loved Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa people who fought for him, people who led his armies, people who wrote his ahadith, compiled his ahadith, and became scholars of his deen, wallahu al-musta'an. And that's how Allah defended his Rasul. To end off, Ibn Uthaymi rahimahullah said, the surah starts off by mentioning the favors of Allah upon his messenger. The abundance of khair, of good, al-kawthar, and included in this is the river. Then it instructs with sincerity, for the sake of Allah in salah and sacrifices and likewise in all acts of worship. Our gratitude for all the goodness Allah gives us is to worship Him alone. To turn in salah to Him, to turn in all worship to Him and to worship Him alone. This is the way of the believer. My salah, my sacrifices, my loving and my dying is all for the sake of Allah. He has no partner. And it clarifies that whosoever hates the messenger وسلم, or any aspect of his sharia that he has come with, then he is cut off from all good. He is abtar from all good and there is no khair and barakah in him. This person is a disbeliever in reality. And there is no khair and barakah in him. We ask Allah for safety and security. We ask Allah to grant us an understanding. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, to make us true followers of the Prophet and to be of those who love him and who follow him in word and deed and in our belief as well. Amin ya rabbal alameen. Until next week, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala, we move on to the next surah. Insha'Allah, surah al-kafirun. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.